Wonderful season that we find ourselves in as men of God, moving towards the things that we know that God has called us to. But also we live in a world that's very dangerous today. We live in a world that's very dangerous because we're coming to the end of the age and we know that corruption is in the world. Genesis chapter three is because of a man's failure. When one man listened to the wrong voice, we got in all the mess we're in. Have you ever thought about the fact that the first two chapters in our Bible, the perfect chapters in the Bible, and that in those chapters we see man and God and Satan in the earth before sin? First two chapters in the Bible. We see God, man, Satan in the earth. Before sin, they're the perfect chapters in the Bible. We get a chance to look at the original intent of God. One man, one day, listens to the wrong voice, and we got in all the mess we're in now. One man, listening to the wrong voice, and we got in all the mess that we're in right now. In fact, when you read the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 to the end of the book of the Revelation, all you're reading is a first aid book. To fix what happened when one man listened to the wrong voice one day. You look at the man next to you and say, you need to watch the voices you're listening to. (laughs) Because one man listening to the wrong voice one day. Got us in all the trouble we're in right now. And friends, when you and I are consumed by listening to the voices that come off of CNN, MSNBC, even Fox News. Yeah, I said it. When you and I are consumed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's 168 hours in a day, in a week. And we only spend an hour and a half to two hours in the house of the Lord. That means that that other voice has us out there 166 hours during the week. And one man listening to the wrong voice one day got us in all the mess that we're in right now. Redemption then is God bringing us back to the right voice so that we can get the right play We can get the right agenda. We can fulfill the right purpose that he has called us to. I believe that God has called us to be leaders as men. And Pastor Ray started off by talking this morning. He said when his daughter asked him, where are you going? And he said to be with the men. And she said, why are you going to be with me? And he said, so I can do three, three things, be a better man, husband and father. And see, if you and I can become better men, husbands and fathers, then you and I can help change the climate and the landscape that we find ourselves in today. Part of what I do with my staff every year at the beginning of the year, we put out what we call a landscape map. And we asked the question in 2015, what do we see our challenges as a church that we're going to face in arts and entertainment, in business, in our congregation, in direct media? What are going to be the challenges that we face in education and in our families, as well as in government? These are called the seven systems. Some people have written books during this season called the seven mountains of God. These systems make up the world that we live in. Arts and entertainment, business, congregations, direct media, education, families and government. These seven systems are called the world system, the cosmos. And Jesus not only told us at the end of the age to go to the nations and make disciples, he said, go into the world. One word is the word ethnos, go to the nations, every person of every race, of every nation, of every kindred, of every tongue. And then the second thing he told us to do is go into the world, go in arts and entertainment, in the business, in the congregations, in the direct media, in the education, into uh, families and in the government and preach the gospel. We do one by direct contact, going to the nations, and we become sought, influencing them by touch. We do the other one by indirect contact, but presence, and that's called light. 
Light doesn't make any noise. But it illuminates everything around you. And when you're light in dark places, people start migrating towards the light. I used to camp when I was young. I was an Eagle Scout. One of the things that happened is, you know, in the city, it could get dark, but there's always a light on somewhere. When you get in the woods, it is black out there. And listen, even a match, a spark, a flashlight makes a big difference when there's gross darkness. Jesus said, you're the light of the world and a city set on a hill cannot be hid. You see, as Christians today, as I begin, we're going to be looking in the book of Titus this morning. So if you have a Bible turned there, I believe a preacher ought to still I'm still old school. I believe that a preacher ought to still read some scripture when he's preaching sometime. OK, still 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 kind of old school like that. OK, so so indulge my uh, my old ways. All right. The book of Titus and uh, the book of Titus is written because here there's an apostle whose name is Paul. And a church has been established uh, in Crete. And as uh, Paul has uh, established this place of worship, it's kind of interesting that we now find in this particular text, Paul writing back to a young man that he is now discipled and he's calling him to be a leader in that context. Titus chapter one and verse number four, we'll read four through nine. For our consideration this morning and then try to open this up a little bit better more uh, this afternoon. And what we want to talk about in our two sessions is the theme that I'm going to call perpetual leadership. Perpetual leadership. How do we then in a world that's corrupt, messed up in all of the systems, generate ongoing leadership that's going to lead us to godliness, lead us to the kingdom of God? And in Titus chapter one and verse number four, it says to Titus, my true son in our common faith. He says, grace, mercy and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our savior. He says, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man be blameless, husband of one wife, why you would want any more is way beyond me. Okay, a bunch of cowards in here this morning. <laughs> one wife, one man, more than enough. Having faithful children, not accused of, uh, of uh, dispensation, he says, or in subordination, he says, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given the wine. Not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. That he may be able, notice this, with sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For this reason, I left you in Crete. Now, if you'll stay with that text for a moment, I want you to understand the context that Paul leaves Titus in. Because Crete was a little island in the Mediterranean, and it's not real big, maybe a... 140 miles long, maybe 35 miles wide. But Creek was a notorious place. In verse number 12, here's what Paul's assessment of Crete is. He says, listen, one of them, a prophet of their own, said that the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. How would you like that to be your testimony? 
always lying, evil beasts. They had no compassion, no mercy on anyone and lazy gluttons, just always eating more than they needed and more than enough. That's the way the Cretans were. And he says, and that's where I'm sending you, Titus, to set in order things that are lacking. Now, today, men, I think it's important to understand that we live in a in an era of uh, of a spirit of independence. Men don't want to be accountable or answerable to anybody. Even when it comes to pastors, people tell pastors, I've had them tell them in my city. Uh, folks say I put on my pants just like you do one leg at a time. And, and that is true. But God gives different graces to different people. And in the church, a pastor is a gift of leadership to the people, both men, women, children, elderly, as well as uh, those that are emerging into their adulthood for leadership. But there's a real spirit of independence where people don't want leaders. Now, if you add that together with American values that America believes in rugged individualism, manifest destiny, uh, free enterprise, capitalism, the right of the individual, helping to bring people into a sense of community and even giving people the opportunity to willingly submit themselves to one another. And especially the leadership is very difficult because America is not the kingdom of God. A kingdom is written and is run by a kingdom. America is written is run by popular popular vote. So the majority has the rule. That's good America, but it's not good kingdom. And so God has called us an appoint and appointed when the earth has disruptions and corruption. God calls leaders to set things in order. And that's what Paul calls him to do. If we examine the test. The text at a very high level, initially, Paul says, listen, Titus, you're a true son of a common faith. And I believe that every son needs to have an identifiable father, whether biological, surrogate or spiritual. There needs to be a father somewhere in our life. There should be some man in our lives that can hold us accountable. And the word says accountable just simply means answerable. My question to us this morning as men, whether we are young men, whether we are emerging adults or whether we are older men, is who are we answerable to? If you're married, who can your wife pick up the phone and call and tell on you and you will respond? Okay, I can't get no help in here this morning. If you can put a name in that in the at the end of that question, that's who you are accountable to. And we need accountability. We need accountability because if left to ourselves, we will self-destruct. We will not explode. We will implode. We will self-destruct if left to ourselves. And here he calls this man Titus. He calls him a true son in our common faith. He then extends the New Testament greeting, which is generally grace and peace. But to him, because he was a church leader, he says grace, mercy and peace. You know why? Because the people need grace and peace. But when you're a leader, you need grace, mercy and peace. Because it's a terrible thing to be thrown into the hands of people. I remember one time when I was seeking to become a uh, a pastor of some vacant churches in my denomination I grew up with. It was a Baptist denomination. And I asked one of my uh, uh, one of my associate uh, friends who also was leading a congregation. I said, tell me some of the hazards of pastors. He said, he said, you know where the text says it's a terrible thing to be thrown into the hands of a living God. And I said, yeah, he said, it's also a terrible thing to be thrown into the hands of a deacon board. <laughs> <laughs> and so pastors need grace, mercy, and peace. Look at a pastor around you say, mercy, mercy, mercy. <laughs> the reason that there's a need of mercy among God's leaders is because we have to deal with God's people. How the preacher's kids become so bad hanging out with the kids in the church. I can't get no help in this morning. <laughs> and so we need grace, mercy and peace. As, as leaders, Paul knew 
that that Titus was going to live in the fishbowl. And when you're a leader, you live in a fishbowl. And that is that you have certain limitations and boundaries, but you have certain amount of freedom within your context. But everybody's looking at you. They're looking at you. And though they know intellectually that you're just like them flawed at the same time, they know that God has elevated you and lift you up. And you're leading either that module that you are in. You're leading that department in the marketplace. You're leading the overall organization in the business that you run. You're leading that department in government. You're leading that ministry or that home fellowship in the church. You're leading a congregation. All of us are called to be leaders, but we don't lead all the time and in the same capacity. And because we're called to be leaders, sometimes we are lifted up and elevated, not in a prideful way, but people look toward us to give them our gift called leadership. And for that, we have to be models. And Paul tells the man, uh, Titus, he says, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Uh, See, we need to understand that ministry belongs to God and his leaders need to ascend legally into ministry leadership. In other words, somebody needs to train us and affirm us and bring us up in leadership. But once we're there, we cannot be independent, but we are there for God and for the people. We want to do them good. Now, let me bring out three things out of this text initially at a high level overview, and then we'll dig down a little bit deeper the rest of the morning and then this afternoon. First of all, he said to have perpetual leadership. Listen, Timothy, you're going into an area where you're going to have people that are always lying, not telling the truth. How did you know when a Christian was lying? Every time their mouth was moving. (laughs) They were just liars all the time. They were brute beasts, man. They had no mercy on anybody, no mercy on youth, no mercy on children, their wives, their families. They had no mercy on anyone. They were described as being beast. And then also in verse number 12, they were just gluttons, just wanting to eat all the time, eating more than was necessary. That's the way they were. And Paul leaves Titus there and he says, I want you to set in order the things that are lacking. You see, one of the first things that we need to understand as a man, you and I need to have the capacity and need to give ourselves to be problem solvers. And problem solvers mean that you and I have the capacity as God's leaders to straighten out some stuff and to set some stuff in order. Never complain about what you have not set your hand to do to straighten out. I want people I hear people complaining about the government, then they don't vote. Then I see people going to vote and they don't even know who they're voting for. They just get a little card in the mail and go in and start pushing levers and they don't even know who they're voting for. And I said, God says, I want some things set in order. And God's way of setting things in order is he always looks for a man. When the earth is in trouble, God goes to work. Ezekiel twenty two thirty says, and I sought for a man that could stand in the gap and make up the hedge. So that I would not come and bring destruction on the earth. Don't you hate it when things are out of order? When you go through a drive through and you order that double cheeseburger. Large fry. Uh Uh-huh. You order that Coca-Cola with no ice. Drive away from the window. You know what you do. You pull over the side just to check your order. Find out it's not a double cheese, it's a fish sandwich. Find out this ain't no large fry, this is small fry. Find out my Coke has ice in it. What do you do? Go back around? Most of the time, now you park the car. Take the bag in there, you say this order is not right because don't you hate it when things are out of order. Listen, when you go into... A, uh, a, a store and, and, and you're looking for something. All of a sudden they're doing a redesign. Don't you just hate it when they're doing a redesign and, and the vegetables and fruit used to be on this side. Now they moved it to the middle of the store 
And then they put all the stuff you don't want, toilet paper, wrapping paper, saran wrap, feminine napkins. They put all that stuff in the front door. And then they put, you know, the stuff that you need the most way over on the other side, the milk, eggs and fish and all that stuff. They put all of that on the other side. Don't you hate it when stuff is out of order? I, I have a habit in our city. We have a store chain called Giant Eagle. It's built for a man. They knew what man wanted and they put it right by the door. They know women are going to walk up and down every aisle. So they put stuff, all that stuff down on that end. But they know I, I shop with, a, with, a, with one of those carry baskets. You know, when my wife sends me to a store, I said, whatever you can get on a post-it note on one side. Because y'all know how women think they out of order. I said, cause, cause see, I, I'm a hunter. I'm not a shopper. I want to go in, find it, shoot it, kill it, pay for it and bring it out. <laughs> I ain't a shopper, man. And when they did the redesign on that store, it was out of order. I hate big stores. I never go to Walmart. First of all, when I go to the store, I'm on a mission. I went in Walmart one time and some lady said, Welcome to Walmart. I said, what you doing talking to me? She said, I'm a Walmart greeter. I said, don't talk to people when they come in the store. (laughs) Not used to that kind of stuff. They're not going and they got electronics and bells and whistles and people are giving you samples and all that kind of stuff. I need something that's in order. Now, for people that shop there, they can make it, man. I know some people that, that they like to go to Wally World. They just love it. They just love it. All kind of stuff in there. One stop shopping. And what a philosophy uh, that they have for marketing because it's gone global. But what if they just switched up everything? Don't you hate it when things are out of order? Don't you hate it when you go to a restaurant and you order a steak, medium rare. And it comes out and it's black. Well done. Tough. Don't you just hate it when life is out of order? Now, listen to me. When stuff is out of order, people can't really use it. And that's why sometimes the church is discounted because could it be that we're out of order? See, if you walked up to a soft drink machine and there was a sign on it that says out of order, you would not make an investment in it, would you? But when it doesn't have a sign on it that says out of order, you expect it to function the way it was designed. I stay in hotels periodically when I travel about once a month for ministry. And when I stay at the hotels, most of the time I go to the area where the ice machine is, the pop machine. Sometimes they'll have what they call a vending machine there. And I always look at the vending machine because I know one night I'm going to want something sweet. And I'm not that much of a dessert eater and I'm pretty picky on my dessert. But I know one night I might come back and I'm going to be pretty real famished. And I know what I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to be looking for the honey bun. Especially if I got a microwave in the room. It's always E8. Got that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, E8, man. That's the one. And I know that one night when I go down, I'm going to have my little money. I'm going to have figured it out. Seventy five. So I'm going to put my four quarters in. And every now and thing, the thing will come. And it stops. And the honey bun doesn't drop. What do you do? Because that honey bun's going to come out of there. Don't you hate it when stuff is out of order? And could that be why God maybe is shaking up his church right now? Because we have not been functioning in order. One of the things that leaders need to be is they need to be problem solvers. They need to be able to set things that are in disorder In order, and Paul says for perpetual leadership, I need some leaders that can fix some stuff, straighten out some things, set them in order. This is why I left you in Crete. Now, there's three words you want to write down uh, when you talk when we talk about setting things in order. First of all, write down the word oversight, then write down the word foresight, and then write down the word insight. 
oversight, foresight, and insight. Those are three qualities that help set things in order. Oversight means I need to be able to stand over the problem and see more than the problem. I need to be able to see the solution. And friends, there are, uh, if you will, if you will, there are people who are, have a lot of uh, oversight and they can see further than the condition that's in front of them. But there also needs to be insight. And insight means I need to be able to look into that problem and say, how did we even get here? What's wrong when you take your car to a mechanic? He never not only fixes what is wrong, but sometimes I ask him, how did that happen? Sometimes things just wear out. Sometimes they've endured their life cycle. My wife drives in 1993 with about 15,000 miles on it, I think, or 10,000 miles on it. We bought her a, a Lincoln uh, town car signature, one like Pastor Sam used to drive, one of them big ones, 1993. We still have that car. It's a family member now. People ask her, why don't you get rid of that car? Your husband makes enough money. She said, it's the best car in the world. They said, why do you say that? She said, it's paid for. (laughs) And it takes a lick and it just keeps on ticking. It just keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling. But every now and then at its age now, we have a major medical episode. Maybe once every two years. And not only do I want to know what's wrong with it, but how did that get a cause? And many times they say just wore out. And insight means that you and I need to be able to look into something and we need to figure out what is the core problem. Doctor, you'll appreciate this. In my in my church, I have a young couple that just graduated from college. One of them, Lamont uh, Clay, he is an emergency medical doctor. His wife is in a doctor of internal medicine. Two doctors, same house, young couple. I asked them when they when they uh, when she came back from Chicago and they did all the all their, uh, you know, all of their internship and everything else now in practice. I said, tell me the difference between emergency medicine and and doctor of internal medicine. Lamont, who is an emergency medical doctor, says, listen, he says, I work in emergency room. And he said, what I want to do is stop the pain. I want to get the patient stabilized. He said, I want to stop the bleeding, stop the pain, and then get them out to another physician that will be their daily care physician. His wife, Jill, said, oh, no, that's not good enough for me. She said, I want to find out what's happening on the inside of the person. What systems broke down? And where were your contributing factors and what other kind of factors were contributing? And I want to get all of that holistic approach to get them fixed. The same thing is true, not only in medicine, but also for counselors. There are some of us that are emergency room counselors. I want to stop the pain, stop the bleeding, and then get you off to somebody who can work through all of that stuff. Okay, I heard Pastor Ray say, yeah. (laughs) Don't have time for all of that. Now, Now, who wounded you when you were a child, and do you remember anything in the womb? No, that's for somebody else. But there are some people that are very gifted in that area. And an insight is when you can look inside. My, my current physician is a doctor of internal medicine. Just had my, my physical, everything went out well. He said, okay, you're keeping the weight off, you know, cholesterol where it's supposed to be. Checked all these bloods. I got poked and prodded places I didn't even knew I had. <laughs> had the colonoscopy. Oh, yes, that was, that's a very, very, very fun procedure. I'm at that particular age right there. Okay, some men are crossing their legs. And, the, and friends, all of that kind of, but, but you got to know what's going on. And that's called, you know, there must not only be authority, oversight, but there also, to make changes, there must be insight. What's going on? And friends, we need not be afraid to look at what's going on in some of our internal systems inside of the kingdom to make us healthy now. Man, if your mind's messed up, man, if your heart's messed up, Man, if you're circulatory, the breath of life, the, your relationship with the Holy Spirit is messed up. If your reproductive system is messed up, you're not seeing people born again and birthed into the kingdom. 
Man, if all of those, if your circulatory system is messed up, there's not a free flow of love and peace and joy among the saints. Man, sometimes anatomically, just like the body is, that's the way the church is. And we got to look at all these different kind of systems, the way that we think, the way that we process, the way that we feel, the way that we breathe, the way that we reproduce. If we're going to be whole, Titus, I left you in Crete. To set in order the things that are lacking. And we need not only oversight, but we also need foresight to be able to look into. And we also need insight. You see, insight is looking into the problem and looking at all the services. But foresight also kind of looks down the road. What could be if I got all these things fixed? See, oversight is, is that whole area, man, of authority. Insight is when I look into and I see more than what's going on in the surface. But foresight is when I can look further than the problem and I can look down the road and say, these are the things. You see, when you and I set in order the things that are lacking, meaning that we need to rearrange some things. Man, when you go home, try something different this night. Especially if you're married. What would happen if you're married and you and your wife still sleep in the same bed? I trust that is the case. <laughs> Told my wife we got married, going to be one bed. Okay, so we sleep in one place. One time she got mad at me, went out on the couch, grabbed her pillow and her covers, went out on the couch. You know what I did? I grabbed a sheet and another pillow and went out there and laid on the couch with her. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to fix all that. I said, they're going to be one bed. She said, boy, you're too big to be on this couch. I said, well, they're going to be one bed. <laughs> yeah, no, I know I got, I got insight and foresight and oversight. And friends, one of the things that happens, one of the things you ought to do is just do something different. Rearrange something. When you go to bed tonight, get on her side of the bed. Oh, listen, listen, listen. Yeah, man. Give it a try. I take my shower shave, put on my put on my uh, satin pajamas, man. And, and I slid into that side of the bed. She came out the bathroom, said. <laughs> They're helping me preach up here. What you doing over here? I said, I just I just want to lay over here. and See what's going on over here tonight. Life is too short to let it be boring. Just go home and try it. Lean on the man next to you and say, try it, man, try it. (laughs) So I'm laying over there saying, yeah, I'm going to lay here tonight. Check things out on this side right here. (laughs) She's going to ask you, what did you learn at that men's meeting? <laughs> See, I went to that men's meeting at Faith Christian Center with the rest of these men, and we learned that we're supposed to set in order. And you need oversight, insight, and foresight. Rearrange some things. Life is too short for it to be boring. And sometimes you just got to do something different. And friends, people that have leadership, perpetual leadership, know how to fix things, they know how to set in order, and they want to get things from an out of order sign on the machine and on the church and on the ministry and on our homes and in our businesses to operating in order. I set you there to set in order the things that are lacking. Second of all, Timoth- uh, Titus, I left you there in Crete to do something else. I left you there in Crete to appoint elders, set in order things that are lacking and appoint elders. Elders were leading leaders. Now, I know eldership has Buteros, uh, part of what has happened is appointing elders in every city today. That's been turned into a big, long process in many churches. But in the Jewish mind, an elder was just a mature male or female in the society and in the community. And I want to look at it from the Jewish sense as opposed to the ecclesiastical sense today. That, that he says one of the ways that we can set in order the things that are lacking is that we need some mature folks in, in the area. 
You know, in tribal cultures, like the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Epsilon, listen, the tribe of the uh, Metabili and the, and the Hutu and the Tutsi, listen, listen, Africa is a very tribal nation. And continents, it's a very tribal continent, and nations inside of the continent are very tribal. And friends, many times in tribes there were not only the king or the chieftain, but there was also elders. Elders were mature men. And as elders, how can we set things in order? One of the things that many times our community lacks is just mature men. Mature men are men to take responsibility not only for themselves, but also for the community. And part of setting what's in order is us taking responsibility for what goes on in the community. See, and that concept is not just simply uh, simple experience, but it's experience and maturity and faithfulness. And these elders had experience and maturity and faithfulness. Listen, my mother in December turned 90 at my church uh, where I pastor and have a chance to serve. Man, we have four generations in my family sitting there. My mother, that's 90. Myself, I'm 64. My, my, my sons and daughters that are in their 30s. And now my oldest son with his two children, grandchildren that are eight and nine years old, four generations that sit next to each other. Do you know in America, there are actually six generations that sit next to each other from, 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 the, uh, from the hero generation of the wars all the way up now to those that are called the millenniums, which are generation X and X. Y and now generation I. Why? That's the iPhone and iPad and I generation. I want, I desire, I need. Six different generations. And you know what's needed when you have multiple generations set in order to things that are lacking and ordained elders in every city? And when we ordain these elders in every city, these are mature statesmen. There's a little scripture in Psalm 71 and verse number 18 that David speaks out. And he talks about, man, he says, I know that one of my responsibilities is to reproduce leaders. And David says in Psalm 71, 18 is where I'm going. 14 is where I'm reading Psalm 71, 14 through 18. He says, I will hope continuously and will praise you yet more and more, says David. I'm going to be a worship leader. He says, my mouth will tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do did not. I do not know their limits. He says, I will go in the strength of the Lord. He says, I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. Then he says in verse 17, oh, God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous work. Notice this prayer of an old, mature man. Now, also, when I am old and gray headed, oh, God, do not forsake me until I have declared your strength to this generation and your power to everyone that is to come. What a prayer of an experienced man. He says, first of all, Lord, I've had longevity and faithfulness with you. God, he says, I've kept your word and you have taught me from my youth. But now he says, Lord, when I'm old and gray headed, some of you who have some gray hair who are not afraid to show it. Would you lean over to somebody younger at your table and say, don't let the gray hair fool you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I had a young man that got mad at me in our church one time. Real young guy, man. Must have been early 20s. And he got mad at me. And at a church picnic, he challenged me to a wrestling match. And the only thing I could look at him, I said, don't let this gray hair fool you. (laughs) And it was funny. It was so funny. His dad said, I told him to leave Apostle alone. And and see, when you get old, see, when you're young, you're out there rope-a-doping and talking junk. When you're old, you ain't got that much energy. Sometimes you only got one punch. (laughs) And you got to make it count. Because if it goes past that, it may be over. 
And that boy was running around doing all this jazz. And finally, when he reached the lockup with him, he boom, duck under, got behind him, took him down, had him on the ground pin. Everybody went, oh, whoa, oh, oh, oh. I said, I said, don't let the gray hair fool you. Now, one of the things that happened was when you're old and gray headed, though, I won that little episode. Doc, when I got back to the room, I, I was saying, why didn't you just let it go, man? See, in those moments, we have something called adrenaline that kicks in. Helps you do what you normally can't do. See, men have a thing called testosterone. It makes us think we can do anything. And see, that's when you know you're getting old. But now you try to remember what you were trying to do. You know you're getting old. When your dreams are reruns, you're getting old. When you bend over to pick up something, you say, now, what else can I do while I'm down here? You get no. You go to bed with your wife. And when you get ready to kiss her the good night, you don't know whether to kiss her in the night or the nightstand, because on the nightstand are eyelashes, her eyes, her wig, her teeth. Look at your neighbor say, you know, you're getting old. <laughs> Y'all stop playing now. I only got a few more moments. Stop, stop playing. It's you two right here. You two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You two. Listen, listen. When you're old and gray headed, there's an IOU that we owe to this generation. Verse 18 spells it out. When I'm an elder in a community. And I'm setting in order the things they're lacking, ordained elders. One of the things that happens when I'm old and gray headed, here's my prayer as I begin to gray. Lord, don't forsake me. In other words, Lord, don't abandon me because I want to do something with a generation. These emerging adults that are coming up. Don't let me go until I shown this generation your strength and everyone to come your power. Two things that I close with this morning. The first thing is that this generation needs to know the strength of the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, the strength of God is what brings you through the wilderness, through the tests and the trials of life. You know what? This next generation, these emerging adults that are coming up and we stop calling our our uh, we have we have children, teens and emerging adults in our church. We, we they, I met with our emerging adults and I said, what is it that you hate most about the church? They said, the church is the only place where we're called young adults. They said, when we go to college, they don't call us young adults. They treat us like adults. So when we graduate from college or in our early 20s, when we go to work, they don't call us young adults in the marketplace. They call us adults. They said, when we get stopped in a store and they said and uh, ask questions, they treat us like adults. They said, the church is the only place that delays our maturity. They said, the only place I'm identified in the earth as a young adult is in church. So I said, what do you want to be called? And our emerging adults got together and they said, we want to be called emerging adults. Mm. They, said, we're, they said, we know we're not all the way there, but we're emerging into our adulthood. And for emerging adults, I said, what do you need from your pastor? And they said, we need to know how you made it. Lord, when I'm old and gray headed, don't let me depart. Don't forsake me till I've told this, shown this generation your strength. They say we can see where you are now, but we know it's not always been that way. Tell us your stories. And do you know that Jesus was a master storyteller? He always was telling stories about what had happened in his life, what was going on in the culture. Parables were stories that had spiritual significance. And we have an IOU to this generation to tell them how we made it through the wilderness. And the strength of God is needed to bring us through the wilderness. 
Through the wilderness is when we go through times of testing for times of proving so that we can be fit for the master's youth. Because no matter where we are as full mature men of God right now, we haven't always been here. Some of us had to fight. Some of us had to struggle. Some of us had to go through recovery programs. Some of us had to have some help along the way. Some of us had the power of God hit us, and it was one step for deliverance from breaking of addiction. Some of us had to go through 12 steps. I don't care if it was one step or 12 steps, as long as you're free in Jesus. That's what I'm concerned about. Friends, when I'm old and gray headed, don't let me depart until I've shown this generation your strength. But the final thing, as as Titus said in order the things that are lacking and ordained elders, David says, don't let me depart till I've shown this generation your power. You know, there's a there's a cry from this emerging generation, both our children, our teens and our emerging adults. They say, I want to know the power of God. Friends, the power of God is resident inside of us because we have the Holy Ghost inside of us. Listen, would you look at your neighbor and say, I know I got the Holy Ghost inside of me. Yeah, you shall receive Acts chapter one and verse eight power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the world. You with the Holy Ghost have power to cast out devils. You with the Holy Ghost have power to speak with new tongues. You with the Holy Ghost, if you take up any deadly thing or any serpent, it shall not hurt you. You with the power of the Holy Ghost have the power and the authority to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Lord, don't forsake me until I've shown this generation. Your strength. Can everyone to come your power? And this generation not only needs to hear about how the power of God was in operation in the pastor's life and in the evangelist's life, but in your life. They need to hear that when your mother was sick, I laid hands on her as a husband and as a brother. When your sister was sick, I laid hands on her and she recovered. They need to know how God, through his power, when you pray, met the need. And the finance came in supernaturally or God changed contracts. And Lord, when I'm old and gray headed, don't let me depart and don't forsake me till I've shown this generation, my children, my youth, my emerging adults and my peers, your strength, how you brought me through this wilderness. And everyone that comes, your power, how you demonstrate your ability through us. Never mistake that it was his ability that came through you. It wasn't your ability. It wasn't my ability. It was his ability through me. You see, if I, if, if I could show it to you like this, it's the power of God that will deliver you out of Egypt. God's the one that breaks Satan, Pharaoh's hand off of your life with a mighty hand. It's God's power that delivers you out of Egypt, that brings you to a Red Sea and opens up the Red Sea. It wasn't Moses and his rod. It was God's command and his word that said, stretch it out. And then the power of God hit. It was God's power that brought them out of Egypt. But listen to me. It's God's strength that takes you through the wilderness. It's God's strength that keeps you when you're being tested. Keeps you when things are delayed. Keeps you when it seems like heaven has said no, a denial. It's God's strength that keeps you then. Paul says, Titus, we need perpetual leadership. And I'm leaving you in Crete. He says to set in order the things that are lacking. Look at the man next to you and say, get your life in order. Look at the one on the other side. Tell him, get your life in order. Part of getting in order is having oversight, insight, and foresight. And then lastly, part of order is also understanding that how I have an IOU to be an elder in this generation. And listen, you don't have to only be old and gray-headed to be a leader. We need some young leaders out here. You know that there's some, some people that my emerging adult crowd touches that I don't even touch. All this social media stuff, man, they touch a crowd that I don't even touch. And I mean, stuff can go viral quick. 
Every now and then when I'm preaching, I said, hashtag that. <laughs> All my young adults, they get out their phones, man. They say, got it, got it, got it. Post that up there. Because there's all kind of stuff floating out there. But you can be a leader in this generation. You could take that tool, man, all that, all of that, all of those tools that are out there. Instagram tweet. You can, man, you could do all of that stuff with Facebook. And there's so many social media networks out there. And rather than having all this junk fill the airways, why don't you and I say Jesus is Lord. The Holy Ghost still has power. Don't let me depart. Neither forsake me until I've shown this generation your strength and everyone to come your power. As we end this session, I want to pray for you because God needs you as a leader. Look at the man next to you. Say, God needs you as a leader. Take the hand of a man next to you. Agree with him because I want to pray for him and his leadership quality. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have a room here full of leaders. And Father, we want to set in order the things that are lacking in this New England area. And your solution for setting in order the things that are lacking in this New England area is to go and ordain elders, mature men. Father, that can set in order the things that are lacking. Father, I pray for every man in here that he'll go back and he'll do a sweeping assessment. And with his oversight, his authority, with his insight, he'll look in the matters and do an assessment. And then with his foresight, he will see more than he sees that he will be able to set in order the things that are lacking in his life, in his family, in the community, in the church, in the ministry, in the home group. In Jesus name. And Father, now we accept our responsibility that when we're old and gray headed, oh, God, don't forsake us. Don't even abandon us until we have shown this generation your strength and everyone that is to come your power. Oh, God, let your power flow through us, not to give notoriety to us so that the next generation can know you're still a powerful God. For this, we give you thanksgiving for this. We give you praise. Now squeeze that hand real good. And tell that brother, receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. 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 Receive.